Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. And we return to 2 Corinthians as we have been for months. And uh, we've actually worked through the first seven chapters. And that's actually the first section of 2 Corinthians. That portion is completed pretty well, I guess you could say, in the way it's arranged. And there's a significant change. You'll notice as soon as we go right into chapter 8 and verse 1. The theme is a little bit different. It has been dealing with Paul's ministry and the legitimacy of it. And um, We now turn to what is going to be the collection of the saints uh, in Jerusalem. There were Christians who were very poor there, and uh, the churches of the Gentiles are being appealed to to uh, help the needs that are there. So he's been talking about his ministry, and now he goes to this Christian ministry of giving and how important it is because he devotes two full chapters on giving. So as we do... As we've been doing, we continue doing verse by verse, chapter by chapter, of course. And so it's not one of those things that we're doing a building program or anything that we are urging money. You can say, oh, there's Dennis talking about money now. You'll notice we really don't emphasize that enough, really. And uh, it is something to be emphasized because it's actually a part of worship. It's very important, and, and we'll get to that, what that is. Um, but, you know, you you, th- you think of giving, and you think, oh, no, this sounds kind of like a humdrum thing. Or somebody say, money, yeah, let's talk about that. Understand that. Understand I don't have enough. <laughs> um, but this Christian ministry is really important. It's actually a doctrine. And you don't think of giving as doctrine. You know, we think of justification, sanctification, glorification, the atonement doctrine, uh, just you know, walking by the Spirit, uh, all of those are really key doctrines. But giving is going to be found all throughout Scripture. You'd be amazed how much Jesus referred to it in all throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, that it is there. It is a theological doctrine. Uh, of course, it's to be practiced, but there are key passages whenever there are major doctrines. Whatever one may be doing on, uh, as far as particular doctrine, theologians will refer to key passages, won't they? Here are the key passages to this, and then they'll prove it by going to this text and this text. And those are called normative passages, for whatever it's worth to you guys. Uh, But the normative passage for giving, although there are just literally hundreds and hundreds of them, is most often this if you appeal from Paul's writings, it's a marvelous teaching about the matter of giving and what one does with money. What you have here is the supreme model for giving. Supreme model, it's a theology of Christian giving. Supreme model is actually the Macedonians, a Greek group of people who we're going to be learning a little bit about. This morning we're really going to do an introduction to uh, this chapter 8 and 9, we, will, uh, we have two verses scheduled on your outline. 
and hopefully we get to those, and we'll be reading that uh, here in a moment, that section. But we're going to meet some believers, people that have gone on before us, but we'll see them. We'll see them in heaven. These people are amazing. They believed God and they obeyed God. And when you see what they did, you will be astonished, amazed, what they did and how they did it. Most of us can endure sermons of uh, dealing with hell and judgment and eternity, and part of our brains sometimes wants to shut down a little bit on some of the uh, high theological terms that can be used. When money is mentioned, though, people can have their attention. Either they'll shut it down or they will have their ears attuned to what's going to be said here. Uh, we're all familiar with money. Every one of us sitting here know that uh, that particular thought is with us every day because we have to have it we know it it's okay Uh, we perceive it much of the time it affects us every day how are we going to meet the bills right how can i get this it's on our minds it's there constantly Uh, it's it can affect our motivations uh, our senses it even drives our ambitions now, I'm not commending certain attitudes as driving us as our ambition because it shouldn't. But how do we look at it? How is it demonstrated in Scripture of how we are to, uh, to use our money? Like I said, I haven't spoken a lot about it because it depends on the text where we're at. Like I said, it's, it's throughout Scripture. But here it is staring us in the face and we can't skip it. We got to we got to see what God has to say about it. It has a lot more to say about than anything the world could ever tell you. Matter of fact, the world is probably going to tell you something extremely different than most of the things that we have. Although the principles here are basic, and I, sometimes I think people don't even know what those basics are in the modern times that uh, we have. Uh, Jesus said something like this: "For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." That's Matthew 6.21. Randy Alcorn, who wrote a lot about money in the kingdom and such, said, As surely as the compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. Money leads, hearts follow. Well said. That came from the treasure principle. It's principles that, that are good to learn. God meant for there to be an exchange with people comes in the form of money here what we do with our money is really how our spiritual lives are measured that's incredible thought that's really how you are spiritually with what you do with your money the scripture deals with acquiring money possessing money spending money the privileges of money the forbiddenness of it, the deceptions, the consequences of violating the principles, meeting the needs of uh, the others, the poor, and the matter of giving in worship. We're going to take a look at a lot of verses that support the introduction that we have just now done and what is in chapter 8 and in chapter 9. I think we have a lot to learn about uh, a known topic. We might have a really good handle on the, the principles, but there's so much to ever keep learning out of God's Word, isn't there? Amen. We never know enough. 
And so this is so misunderstood, this whole idea. And we want to think of this as seeing its role in theology and in practice. God's Word has much to teach us. So why don't we grab our Bibles, turn to chapter 8. We're going to read the first six verses, although we're not going to cover that area, all of that area this morning. Uh, Why don't we stand? Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. That's where it starts. Which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability, and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Father, as we go to your word this morning now, we look for guidance on what you have to say about a real overriding factor in all of our lives and how we're to use what you've given us to be the stewards that you intend us to do, ever learning and knowing what your will is. In Jesus' name, amen. So we turn to uh, our chapter 8 as you are there. And like I said, brand new section. Boom. Here we go. The theology of money, first thing we're going to look at. We're going to look at the, the, theology means the study of God. Theos, God, ology, study, study of God. Here's what God says about this. Here's what he thinks about this particular topic. Um, have you ever thought of give, giving as being a theology? You ever thought of that? Probably not. You don't usually think of it as a doctrine, as I said. But scripture is just dominated by this thought. I mentioned that. What does God say about it? He has given us a lot of access to acquiring money to be able to meet our needs. It's definitely for that. Food, clothes, shelter. We take it for granted. It's there. It's always there. It's in the cupboards. And if it's not, always go to the grocery store and pick it up. Water. We take that for granted, too. I know as I work at the Department of Natural Resources, I've been learning a lot about how our water is to be taken care of. And it's good that that's done, although there are a lot of things done by government that's called over-control. But I do know if there's no control with sinful man, the water that we drink today, if it wasn't done, something wouldn't have started a few decades ago. I have to wonder how we would even drink our water today when you would see some of the things that started that people were doing back in the 70s. Sinful man is what they do with the resource of water and the stuff that they would throw into the water sources. And uh, so, uh, this is not a speech for where I work. 
because, like I say, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, I, I'm trying to be with wisdom, you know, as I see it, because I know that over control of government is where we get into our problems anyway. So I'm really not for the EPA as it stands for. But I can tell you, food, clothes, shelter, water, transportation, all those things are needs. I, I would say basic needs. Because, you know, you have to have transportation in order to be able to get to work anymore. You know, a lot of us probably would live so many miles away, it would take us all day to uh, walk to work, and by that time, it'd be time to go back home. <laughs> so that's pretty necessary. There's a lot of things that we take for granted today, but um, it's a good thing to have money. It does meet our basic needs, and it goes beyond our basic needs. God blesses us. He, I, I think he's blessed us very much. Some of us have a, more money than others. And I think everyone here would say that they don't have enough money. <laughs> I don't know if anybody would say, i got too much money. I need to do something. I've never had anybody come up with, with that. I've got so much money, I don't know what to do with it. Can you tell me how to direct that as far as the church is concerned? You know, that usually doesn't happen. But uh, A lot of times we compare ourselves with other people. If you want to compare, just compare with other nations. Compare with all the people that want to come to this country, whether legally or illegally. Um, there is a fact that God has blessed this nation, and, and there is a matter of, of big-time wealth here. Um, like I say, some have more than others, but God has richly supplied us. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. With that blessing that he gives us, there's a warning. There are plenty of warnings about um, what we do with what God gives us. He gives us a lot of things. So um, anyway, it's okay to have money. It's a good thing. Uh, God has given that to us. And, and you can think of Scripture, you can think of Abraham, who really was um, very richly endowed. You can think of Solomon, very richly endowed. He had everything that you can imagine and beyond, and he didn't know what to do with it all. Um, David, of course, and uh, you can think of Joseph. and All throughout Scripture, there's so many um, that God had uh, blessed with. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, Start with the law a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Here it is, verse 18. But you shall remember the Lord, Yahweh, your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant, which He swore to your fathers, as it is this day. He's given his people power. Here this nation of Israel extends to his people. And even to unbelievers, they're given power to make wealth, to make a living, to make something that uh, exceeds just the lowest way to live. And, of course, to Israel, quite the promises that he gave. So he gives us power. He gives us ability to support ourselves and our families. Um, what we're going to do is look at some warnings and then some other scriptures of what the Bible says about money. This morning we're going to cover a few verses. There's so many. We could just read them and read them and read them. But we'll start with a warning that comes out of First Timothy chapter 6. Verse 10, verse 17. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, 
And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There were rich people in the church. There were a lot of poor people, mainly poor, but there were some rich. And he warns them there that the love of money is the problem, putting it above everything else. Verse 17, same chapter, instruct those who are rich in this present world. They're just loaded with material things, money. Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. How easy that is, isn't it? But put it on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy. That's the idea, to enjoy Him in whatever manner that He has put us. Uh, boy, if we were to work out a Proverbs, we could really find a way of dealing with this doctrine. Go to uh, Proverbs 23. Verse 4, verse 5. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. Don't worry yourself. God is the one who's going to take care of you, right? Then he says, when you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings. And that's something. Like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. There it goes. As soon as you have it, you get paid. And man, where did it go? Now I've got too much month at the end of the money. (laughs) Boy, is that true. Proverbs is right. This was written like 3,000 years ago. Wow. Oh, let's do Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Go to a little bit of wisdom, right? The wisdom books. Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 10. Oh, it's good to know about this topic, isn't it? It's convicting. What else does the Bible say about money? Too many things. Philippians chapter 4, verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Wrote that to the Philippians. Paul says, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. You met the needs of me, Paul says. So we can see it can be used as a gift. Matthew twenty five twenty seven. It's good to see what the Lord says about this amazing thing. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank as a parable, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. There it's dealing with saving. Just the simple matter, it's a principle. But when you have an income, you want to take some of that, no matter how little it is, but at least set aside enough. And if you can do that enough times, I know you say, well, I need it now, and I know that. But if you set some back, whenever a car breaks down, 
or something in the house breaks down because invariably it is going to happen because sin happens. <laughs> and what I say, the result of sin. Because of sin, things wear out. Cars wear out. Parts wear out. There's going to be a time when you're going to have to get some tires. Tires wear out. Yeah, and we know that too well. We're talking about everyday living here. We're talking about just... You can say, oh, Dennis, I have to think about this enough. Don't bring this into worship. <laughs> well, this, this is telling us put money in the bank and you can get some interest. One half percent. It does, it, it, my dad used to make, uh, after he was retired, enough money off his interest to be able to pay the bills. You can't do that today. <laughs> Of course, that's when interest was high, and there's a negative to that because you want to borrow money, it's hard to get it. But at the same time, it's a good principle to take that money a little bit, as much as you can, put it in there, and hold it for a rainy day. It really is amazing how many times that that can happen. And you can say, okay, I know, I've got enough cover. I hate to take it out of here, but this has to be done. That's there. Good principle, isn't it? Jesus is even using this in a parable. We could take that whole thing and teach on it. But not. Let's go to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. I'm going to run out of time before we even start on a verse today. I, I just know it. I just know it. Um, Proverbs 21, 20. Proverbs has a lot to say about everyday living. Just practical. Some people like practical aspects of Scripture. That, that's called living it. Some, that's all they want. Then others want just doctrine. The two go hand in hand. You must have the doctrine to be able to live it. But you must be able to live the doctrine. What you believe is how you're going to live it. What you believe is how you're going to live it. If you take nothing out of this today, that's a good one to know. Because what you believe about God is how you're going to live the way that God has set forth. What's that? Live the theology. To live it out. Proverbs 21, verse 20. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. Just swallows it up. Somebody who regards it as a treasure, it's precious, the oils, they regard a lot of other things, animals and such. You know, sometimes you'll see the worth of, of oxen and donkeys. and They measured a lot of the wealth in, in that manner, that form, even though they had coins and, and such too. Proverbs 27. Verse 23. Know well the condition of your flocks. Pay attention to your herds. That, that was their valuables there, right? For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. Know it, because it's not going to last forever. Okay, be wise. Use it wisely. Second Thessalonians 3.10 Our society today, people think the government ought to just give them money to live on and go out and buy food and not have to work. That's the kind of thought that our government has 
introduced to people, and now you have people thinking that uh, people owe them. People owe them because they are living here on this earth. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, you had Christians that were thinking that Christ was going to come back any time. That's a good thought, but you don't drop everything. They were, they were quitting their jobs, selling everything, and sitting up on the roof waiting for Jesus to come back. <laughs> and you have those today. I, I don't know any of those, but I, I hear that there are some that do this. He says, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. So it had happened before, as he wrote to the Thessalonians. He says, we talked about this. We ordered you. If anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. If one doesn't work, then don't give him any money. Now, it's, it's the idea of willing to work, though, too. Sometimes people really try hard. And there was a time when I went for almost a year without a job, but I kind of took it as a vacation until I got my last job. And so, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed it, and I, I kind of needed it anyway. It was good. It kind of refreshed me. So I really wasn't in a hurry, and the Lord provided a lot of means as uh, we got through that. But you start getting concerned a little bit. It gets to about 10 months. <laughs> you go, okay, let's see. It's getting close to a year here now. Maybe I need to get serious. Well, the Lord was going to... Uh, going to have to take care of me because uh, when you're approaching 60 years old people are not really out there looking for somebody of that much experience and so I like to say is God blessed and um, here we are right but I knew that I need to work to make a living and it is scriptural so anyway First Timothy chapter five verse eight. This is about people of your own family. Just basic principles, aren't they? But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has, look at this, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We're talking about a, a believer here. So he's worse than an unbeliever. He's regarded as, a, at least unbelievers even do that. They take care of their family. They take care of them, themselves, their family, and people have some needs. It says they denied the faith. That's a pretty incredible thought, as Paul tells Timothy there, because there were people there that were not providing for their family. And that's an instruction there. This is basic stuff. Unbelievers know this, right? But yet it needs to be reminded. God sure gives a lot of wisdom in his scripture, doesn't he? Um, Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Just a basic principle here. But our own day and time, we tend to get in debt. Don't seek to get in debt. Of course, for big expensive things, cars and houses and certain things that are very expensive, we're not going to have the money to be able to buy that at once. So I'm not saying that you can't get a loan, but here's the biblical principle. Owe nothing to anyone. 
the only thing you owe is to love one another, love your neighbor. He's, we're not to go in debt. And like I say, in these days and times, how else would one have a house? Most, almost everybody I know, if, if they weren't allowed to make monthly payments, then they're not going to be able to go out and, you know, plop out dollars $100,000 all at once. So I'm not saying that we, we can't borrow. But don't be a debtor to people. Don't make that a principle on, on things. Oh, I'm out of money. I, you know, I've got to go to you know, all up and down Missouri Boulevard and all around you have these institutions. Kitty, just want to loan people money. Uh, and the thing is, the interest on that is incredible. And really, those are legal loan sharks. You know, they are uh, sharks. They'll bite you. And you'll never, ever get out of that kind of debt. So um, there are some warnings, some different passages, principles about what God has given, how we're to use it, whether it be, um, you know, paying for our food and our shelter and our clothing and the things that we need, just basic things. And uh, as far as uh, being in debt, you see all those things and dealing with work. Now, what we're going to do is look at the direct pipeline to blessing. Incredible passage. I believe it. I think one has to be using wisdom whenever they read these passages, but there are two, two or three that just jump out at you. And you get a really good balance with these. Two of them are balanced one on the other, and I think it helps us get a really good angle. But if you really understand the Scripture, you'll really understand what God has promised. If you understand His Scriptures, you'll understand His promises, right? You should look forward to offering time. Now I know we just finished singing and joyous and what all that's for is to set us up for the word of God but actually when we give it's right after we give our singing our music talents abilities praise to God and then we show in a real in a visible way, in a sense, and not that we're trying to show others that we don't go in there at all, but we're talking about giving to the Lord's work. And, and as far as this church is concerned, giving is a direct pipeline. It's an opportunity to give at the offering. Have you ever thought of it that way? You can say, Dennis, I, I, I can't. You don't know how much I don't make very much. I'm not telling you how much you have to give. I'm not even saying you have to give 10%. I don't even prescribe that tithing thing as 10%. But whatever it is, give what you can. And if you can, work up to a, a principle that you say, I'd like to get to here. But in the meantime, and the Lord knows, I'm trying, I want to, but I, I don't have it. It's not there. Give something. Just something, and it'll get you started, and you'll see how important it is in your worship with God. It's a part of worship. So it's an opportunity. There are two statements that Jesus made. If there was nothing else in the Bible, and all the things that we just read previously here, there's two statements that ought to cause us to line up for the offering time. 
We should be just joyous about it. <laughs> Nondor might be forcing it on you because, hey, and they might be just lining up now all of a sudden and Nondor gets, uh, well, thank you, Nondor, you've been doing this for years. And that's a ministry in itself as, as you do that, as others have so many things going. Appreciate that. But this is a time that ought to cause us to be generous and abundant. Turn to Luke 6.38. Everybody's heard this one. And we're going to give a little bit of detail on it. Like I say, I don't have an axe to grind on this. We're not building a building. And who knows, the Lord may do that sometime. I've been through building processes, and I, I tell you, it took the spirituality away because that's all you would hear week after week. And it was begging people for money. And it's by grace that we're able to give. And if we go by the principles and then go by what the, the, the Macedonians were doing, was, if we want to do it by grace. Luke 6.38, look at this. This is what Jesus said, okay? I know people take this out of context, and we're going to try to explain it. But here's what he said. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For you're by, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Straight out. Boom. You go, what do you do with that? It means... What it says, the symbolism there is that it'll be, and we've even sang a song uh, dealing with that in years past, uh, where it says, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Uh, we're, we're talking about um, the measure that's in, in like a, a pocket. Um, if you give a lot, you'll receive a lot. Now, we want to turn to Acts 20, verse 35. With that thought, it helps us. In everything, Acts 20, 35, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, Paul quotes Jesus. We don't have that verse in the New Testament, uh, in the Gospels where Jesus said it there, recorded by the gospel writers, but Paul, inspired by the Spirit, maybe heard it from the other apostles, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Wow. It's blessed. We're blessed. So we take that, we look at the Luke 6.38. We look at the Luke 6.38, and it's a market, grain, grain market kind of thought here going on. People would literally go into the grain market. They wore the loose materials, you know, the robes and such, and it would go all the way down to the feet. Well, when they go to the market, they'd take their um, flowing robe and what have you and bring some of it on up. Have it? There would be a sash around them. They would bring it up 
and they'd bring some more up, and then they would make a pocket. You know, like aprons even have pockets, don't they, or something like that? Anyway, what they have there is this huge pocket, and when they go in there to get their grain, <coughs> then as it said in our passage, where it talked about in um, the, the Luke passage, about in the lap, that's the lap area, they would give you the grain pressed down, shaken together, right, put in there, and you'd want that pocket filled up. And they wouldn't cheat. I'd hope they wouldn't cheat. They'd put it all the way up in there in that pocket that you've given. That's what you bought. It was to be fair business practices. But whatever you you give, you were going to get back, right? That's kind of the, the principle. It's, and so uh, they would fill their garment with grain as uh, Jesus spoke uh, about in the Luke Luke 6.38. They will pour into your lap a good measure. So there is the idea. They will pour into your lap. And this appeals now that you're going to get filled. Generosity in giving results in a greater reward from God. When you give, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Um, a greater blessing, right? That's a direct route to being blessed by God. The reason we're doing it is because why we, 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 we want to give. We're not looking for an exact blessing. We're just doing it, but then at the same time, God's promises is that you will receive. Uh, Back to our 2 Corinthians, if you look over in the the next chapter, in chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Easy to understand. Agriculture terminology. If you sow a lot of seed out there, you should expect to have a lot of fruit that comes out of it. Crops and what have you, right? If you don't put much out, then you're not going to receive anything. So he uses that principle right there. They would understand that thoroughly. And so it's a greater blessing when you give than receiving. It's most blessed. If you want to be blessed... What does he say? Give. He can say, well, this is what I expect. I expect a jet, a jet airliner out of this deal. <laughs> now, I know some teach that. That's not what it's teaching. But he's also saying, and don't go to the extreme, you know, of saying, well, he's not going to bless you financially. There are many ways he can bless you. And he's doing it every day, whether we recognize it or not. We should always be giving thanks because there's so many things. Lord, thank you for this and this and this and this. And Lord, thank you for all the things that I can't even think of. I have to wind up doing that because I know I'll eliminate who knows how many things that he's done that I, don't even, I take for granted, forgot about. It's a question of belief. Do we believe those passages that we just look at? You give because it is more blessed to give than to receive. So it's belief or trusting God. Number two, it's obedience. Because that's what we're supposed to do, right? We know that. 
It's not a matter of, oh, I have to. It's a matter of, oh, I want to. I know it's right. It's grace, right? By the way, it's, it's trust, it's obey. That's what it is. Trust, obey. In either case, if we're not trusting him in this matter, if we're not obeying him in this matter, it's a case of sin. Boing. If one doesn't give, they're in sin. Because God has already told what we are to do. It's throughout Scripture. We've looked at the Scripture. Um, and if we don't give, we can say, I guess I just don't trust Him, do I? I just am not trusting. And if I don't trust Him, I don't do that, then I don't obey Him. It's sin. So we are to line up with generosity. Do it unselfishly and do it sacrificially. So that's, that's the one aspect uh, about the theology of money. And I want to show you my uh, kind of watch is that that costs thousands of dollars. Rolex. I'll show you my Rolex. No. Walmart. What? Nine ninety-five. <laughs> Sorry, whoop. Time X. <laughs> Time X. <laughs> okay. Don't want to cheat you guys on time. <clears throat> time, time, also is what we give to. Um, <laughs> now, what we have to do is go back to our Second Corinthians and try to figure out where I'm coming from. Or am I just trying to make up something here because it's time to talk about money? There are a lot of doctrines that I probably wouldn't get around to. And not saying this is a, a less important doctrine. It's just certain things that I would probably skip because I like those high theology doctrines. Well, here is one. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. I'll stop there. Kind of working on verse 1 here, aren't we? Thank you, Ken. <clears throat> We're speaking of the collection that is to go to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem are poor needy saints. There are a lot of reasons why they're poor there in Jerusalem. Where's Paul at? Well, he's in Corinth at the time, right? Or, well, he's writing to the Corinthians, I'm sorry. But he has been in the Macedonian area, which consists of Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea. They gave they gave to the poor in Jerusalem. So wherever Paul goes, he's going to Gentile churches that have been set up and is saying, hey, there's a great need back there. What I want you to do is collect it every Sunday, get a collection up, and when whenever I come, then you'll be ready to give that. That is the idea because of the poverty in Jerusalem. 
Um, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now, we're in 2 Corinthians, so he's writing to the Corinthians, right? He had written to them before about this matter. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says, Now, concerning the collection for the saints, and it's, and it's, it's really the ones in Jerusalem. There are other texts. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. So he's already told the Corinthians to start their collection. On the first day of every week, when is that? Sunday. What's so big deal about Sunday? Well, it's when the church came together. It was actually the first day of the week. People were working on that day. The early church met a lot really on the nights then, I guess, or way before work would start of a morning. First day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. He, 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 there he's saying, that's already done. You don't have to put it in a, in, a, in a real hurry. You have the time to do this, but to get together money so I can take it back to Jerusalem. Now, Paul was being lied about in a lot of ways. Remember, we spent seven chapters on that. One of them was probably this, is that he was going to take the money for himself, right? And that's that's not the idea at all. But So he says... Yeah, it's a that's when that's why we take a an offering every Sunday morning to put it in there and put it in uh, t- to cover what all our expenses are for this building and other ministries and things that we have to get here to keep this thing functioning. It has to be done. If it's not, then we don't have a building. We don't have a building. We're not probably going to meet together. Where do we meet then, right? Well, that's and so that that's the idea. And so we see that in 1 Corinthians 16. Look in Romans chapter 15, the book before Corinthians, 25, 27. But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. As he was writing the Romans, he says, now the next place I'm I'm heading to Jerusalem. Serve the saints. For Macedonia, and there's our word Macedonia. That's in our text today that I hope we get to in verse 1 anyway. We did read it, all right? For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They have done that. In Macedonia, they were pleased to do that, to make this contribution. So we see it in Corinthians, we see it in Romans. Now let's look at the reasons why these people were poor. And you say, ah, those are the ones that he wrote to in Thessalonica, telling them if they don't work, they don't eat. No. thing is, they were wanting to work. Some of them had lost their jobs. Why'd they lose their jobs? Well, let's look at that. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. Get a little history. We're we're doing a lot of background this morning because I think it'll help us interpret what is to come in our text today, probably next week. (laughs) Acts 2, 44, 45, early days of the church. You know what's going on, don't you? We'll read it. Verse 42, they're continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. That's in verse 42. 
uh, 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, very early days of the church. And then 44, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. This is not communism, but it's because what had happened in the church was that the Holy Spirit had come. There were people speaking in languages that other people that were visiting all over the world were able to understand. They were speaking a language they never had before, and all of a sudden they had it. It was a language that could be understood by the <coughs> foreigner that was there. And they were called, there were Hellenistic Jews that had come into Jerusalem. And they were coming to Jerusalem because it was Pentecost, 50 day, 40 days, and then 50 after the starting of the, the festivals, uh, Passover, Pentecost. They just, it's a great feast. They come and gather Worship God, see people there, great time. The church is born. They're able to understand what the gospel is about, even though they don't speak Jewish, Hebrew, they speak Greek. They're Hellenistic. They were Hellenized Jews living way out there, as far as Rome and all over the world. They come there. They understand the language. They understand the gospel. Thousands are added to the church that day. Thousands more. Thousands and thousands more. The Lord added to the church daily, it says in Acts. The people don't want to leave. This is amazing what's happening. They're hearing the apostles teach. They're hearing Old Testament passages. And they're showing how these prophecies came true. And this is the Jesus. They're hearing speaking from the apostles that hadn't been written before. They later get it written down. Paul will later on write down 13 epistles. But they're getting teaching. And they sat at the apostles' feet every day. They don't want to go home. If they go home, there's no church there. It started right here. They go home, they're just going to be Judaized. So they get taught. They're not working. They run out of money. Remember what I said about communism? It wasn't communism. It was a communion with people. The people shared with those people that they were taking into their homes, these new Christians, they were able to get the gospel to them and share it with it, hear what the apostles had to say about it. Would you want to go home? Well, some of them do. The ones who have a lot of money probably are going to go ahead and go back. They have businesses that they have to take care of, so they're eventually going to leave. What does that leave you left with? The poor, the needy, maybe even orphans. Widows, they have to take care of them. They share with them. And that's what's happening in Acts 2 when it says they shared with them. Whatever is mine is mine, but I'm going to let you have it because you need this. That is Christian giving. You need this. I'll share with you. They're not forced to do that. That's something they want to do.
So we turn to Acts 4, 32 through 34. The church is growing. Looking at a little bit of history, looking at background today, aren't we? And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales, lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each one as had any need. So they, they didn't have to, weren't forced, but they knew these people needed. They'd sell things because they needed them to get the money to them. It had to be divided and broken down. All the saints started becoming poor in the church. This is what's happening. So we turn to chapter 11, verse 27 through 29 of Acts. Acts 11, 27. Now at this time, the the church has gone on now. It's time when Paul is the apostle and he's going to take it to the, the Gentiles. And you have the church at Antioch even. You have Barnabas and Saul there and they will take the missionary journeys from there. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's where the church was first known. Uh, one of them, named Agabus, stood up, began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. You look at that historically, there was a Claudius. Roman history would tell you that. There was a famine. It really did happen. This is not some fairy tale made up book where you just, you know, stick in names here and there in places. All of these are geographically proven that they exist and all this happened. And those same people were around at that time. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. So the famine has happened in Judea. Jerusalem is there. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul, who we know as Paul, to the elders. So it's, And as they went out then, they started making it known to the Gentiles. The church started with the Jews. And here's the Gentiles supporting the Jewish Christians. Isn't that amazing? That shows you how the church is one. We're one. The unity is incredible. What an amazing thing. So, all the Jews that are scattered in the Gentile part of the world who have become part of the church, they were, they were at that uh, event. Many of them were and became a part of the church there. People ran out of money. It became a very complex thing. People said, hey, what, what you, you, know, you, need, you need some food here. Uh, they'll go and take and sell whatever it was or whatever they had and they would give to them. And it, so it hit all kinds of people. We also know that this was a time of persecution. People who, who were converted from the ones who lived at Jerusalem would be immediately rejected by the Jewish people. When they were baptized, came to faith in Christ, they became rejected, they became alienated, They would lose their businesses. They would lose their jobs because they were now Christians. They would lose their source of income. 
That's what's happening very early on. Everything was eventually going to disappear as far as those earthly goods. They would be disowned by their family. We're not taking you in. Get out of here. Not part of us. We don't recognize you're dead to me. That's what mothers and fathers could have said to their children or vice versa. Children of their parents. John fifteen twenty. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Was that going on in Jerusalem? You know, at chapter 16, verse 2, John, Jesus said, they will make you outcast from the synagogue. Did they do that? They do that to the apostles? You betcha. It's what they will do, Jesus said. They did. The local Christians, the locals became poor. Another thing that was happening was the Roman oppression. And what I'm doing, and I know it seems like I'm spending way too much time on this cultural aspect. If we get this, it will really help us to know our brothers and sisters from Macedonia. Because when you read that verse again, you're going to understand what they did, what their place was as you study, study what was happening in Macedonia. And I know that's going to be about all as far that we're going to get. <laughs> so you have to remember this as we go into next week. What was happening was the Roman oppression. The Roman government was exactly that. Don't think for a minute that the whole Roman Empire was wealthy. The city of Rome was wealthy. The emperor was wealthy. The empire as a whole was poor. Matter of fact, I'm going to say very poor. The more the Roman government interceded and was invasive into private businesses, things started falling apart. People were made poor by the Roman government. They extracted everything out of all the territories that they occupied. They extracted that. They would take the natural resources. They would destroy them. And not only did that, they'd take the products of those countries and use them for Roman enterprises. These countries became part of the Roman Empire, so the Roman government come in and do what they like. The Romans also, and we're very familiar with this, overtaxed the people. They overtaxed the people in Israel, didn't they? This is a, like a foreign government coming here. They take over and they overtax the people. By the way, they use your own people to tax you, to take your money, to overtax, because then they get to keep the money. That's how they made their income. So they had hired Jews to extort the money for, from their own people to pour into the Roman coffers. So on top of all this, the famine and everything that's going on, the poverty was immense as it first was in Judea and Jerusalem. And it, it was just out all over the world. Now I just want to say this. There's two basic reasons for Christians forgiving. 
the believers early on gave to the church. We, we saw that in Acts 2 and in Acts 4 and then Acts 11. For one thing, that the leaders and the church would be able to function. It's a responsibility for where there is serving and working in the church. And they no doubt supported those that worked right alongside them. So it's really support for the life of the church. And number two, it's for the needs of the people. It starts with the people of God in the church and then for other people, a general population. But it's mainly to meet the needs of the people. And so you have ministry and the needs of the people. Support of the needy. Very important aspect. We, we've already seen that as we looked in, in Acts 2, didn't we? As they supported the people. Uh, early church. The church was filled with poor people, with needy people. Um, not many mighty, not many noble, right? Not many wealthy. But who? Just the people that were the poor, the needy, the widows, the orphans, whoever. So those are the two reasons. That's why we give. Now, just so we can say that we're not cheated, I'm just going to get into the very first part of this first verse, and then we're going to close. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. The issue here in Corinthians is not dealing so much with supporting the leadership and the church's needs, but it's meeting the needs of the, of the poor here. That's the, the aspect. Um, There were people giving to get the Corinthians to give. Paul really has to put it forth a little more. They're kind of dragging their feet. All the other churches, and especially Macedonia, and that's why he's using this example, Macedonia. I said, what, what's so big and important about that? Well, this is what I want to get to before we close, and then we'll be ready next week. Uh, he's using an illustration. I want you to look at the Macedonians. Now to us, we go, okay, the Macedonians, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, Grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. By the way, he starts with grace giving. It's all grace. If you want to start with anything, where do you start? You always start with God. It wasn't that the Macedonians were great. You know, they're sinners saved by grace. But what God put in them to do is more than incredible, and I don't know, I might have to wind up just putting you guys on hold for what this is about now. But they are an example of sacrificial giving. Gentiles making the collection, and he says grace. It's the grace of God. Anything that we have is all by the grace of God. There is nothing that we've ever gotten, no matter how hard we worked, it's by the grace of God. Physically, we couldn't have attained it. We couldn't see or hear or whatever. All the movements that we do to be able to work, whatever. We couldn't do that without God's grace. Amen. And the grace of God preceded the gospel into Macedonia. The grace of God preceded Macedonia. You remember this? I'm not going to turn there. But the Holy Spirit stopped Paul. And he wanted to go into Asia. He wanted to head east where he was at. And the Holy Spirit stopped him. And then he wanted to go somewhere else. He stopped there. And then in a vision, there was a man that appeared to Paul and he said, come over here. Come into Macedonia. The door just opened up. Paul, missionaries, along with him, went on in. You know where 
they first stopped Philippi. The Philippians, there are a group of women meeting out by the riverside who are Jewish or, or you know, they, they're, they're, they're God believers, but they don't know the gospel. Paul stops there as they're praying, really, is what's happening. And it said, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. Where did it start? The Lord. His grace. He opened up her heart. She now became a believer in Jesus Christ. Before she didn't know that. But they were God-fearers. That's what they were. They're on the right track, but they're still not saved yet. And then Paul comes in with the gospel. She takes it and then uh, more believers follow. There's a fruitful ministry there. And Paul became imprisoned in Philippi. And you remember Paul and Silas in the jail singing at midnight, praising God, singing in the jail after he had been whipped almost to death in bonds, singing. This was in Philippi. So we're, we're talking about Macedonians here, the Philippians. And then he went on to, of course, there's Berea, there's Thessalonica, you have the letter to the Philippians, so we know about them. That's Macedonia. That's Greece. Yes. The Thessalonians, we have two letters to them. They're in Macedonia. Are you getting it? Another church was at Berea. Don't have a letter to the Bereans, but they were more noble because they searched the scriptures daily. These are the Macedonians. Are you getting it? You still haven't got it yet. But you get the idea? They had already been prepped by the grace of God. The next time Paul comes along, he's talking about collection of money. These are Macedonians, whether they're Greeks. By the way, grace is used here. This is where everything starts. Look at chapter, okay, we see chapter 8, verse 1. Look at this. Look in verse 4. Begging us with much urging, urging for the favor of participation and supporting. They were begging Paul. They're poor. They're begging him to give more. And it says the favor of participation. That's grace. We're emphasizing grace here. Look at uh, verse 6, right at the end of it. It's a gracious work as well. Uh, look at verse 7. It's a gracious work also. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, for, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Grace is there. Look at verse 19. Not only this, but he is also appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work. Are you getting the idea? Grace, 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 grace. Nothing, you don't have to go out and start begging people to give. You know what? God is going to put a gracious work in their heart. So I don't have to force anything on you. I don't feel like a beggar. You must give. You must tithe. You must give 10%. You, you'll never hear me do that. But I will use scripture and say, here's what God says. Now you seek him on this matter and let him go for it. And use wisdom with it. The Macedonians, and I'm going to close on this, I promise, but I, I have to get to this. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, what's happening there? Paul is motivating the Corinthians. 
This is amazing. Jeff City Jays, Columbia Hickman Cupies. Anybody that went to JC or you went to Columbia? <laughs> rivalry. I mean, back in the day, I don't know how it is anymore. I think it's still there. There's a rivalry between those two schools, Jeff City and Columbia. There's a rivalry between these cities in this area of Macedonia versus Corinth. That's who he's writing to. And he's going to use the very opposite people that you would think that he would use. So when he sticks in Macedonia to them, this is going to make an impact to them. He says, oh, by the way, the Macedonians, let me tell you about them. I want you to know, in chapter 8 he says this, Now, brethren, we wish to make known... Gnosko, I really want you to know this. They are competitors, and he's pushing forth this. And, and what had happened, the lengthy history is that Philip of Macedon united all of Greece at one time. It was forced back in 338. It was a union. But it wasn't going to last, and it didn't. And, and then you have the Roman Empire, and, of course, you had the kingdom of Alexander the Great. You guys familiar with that? And, of course, this is where all this started, this, this Greek empire, the province is a Greek. And by this time, catch this, they are utterly impoverished. They are utterly poor people. I mean, poorer than poor. They really don't have much of anything. That is Macedonia. And here's what I'm going to say. They had a source that was tremendous at one time. Gold and silver. The mining that they had there in gold and silver was very significant. Remember about the Roman Empire that we were talking about? The Romans completely took that over. Oh, they let the people continue to work. The Macedonians were to do the work. They allowed them to dig and smelt it. But because they smelted it, catch this, they charged taxes on them smelting their own gold and silver, which was now belonging to the Romans. They took all the profit out of the gold and the silver, taxed the smelting process, which in effect impoverished Macedonia. Impoverished the people. Not to mention the salt industry that they had, very much known for salt. Romans did the same thing. Timber. And when you have timber, it means building, and they were shipbuilders before also. Shipbuilding was the greatest industry in Macedonia, and they overtaxed them. They couldn't do that. The Romans took over, controlled it all to build their armies so they could go out and stretch out and get more to continue the conquering and to build the great city of Rome. Macedonian region, great poverty perfect example that Paul uses to get to the Corinthian church to give out of their own poverty they had little and so he says 
I want you to know, Norizo, I want to draw your attention now to the giving that's been done by the churches of Macedonia, that's Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, and I want you to give like they have given. That's the standard. And look at their generosity, and we close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9 as, as he writes, And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. I wasn't asking you to give me money to the Corinthians. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully surpri- supplied my need, and everything I kept myself from being a burden to you, and will continue to do so. Do you get it? I think you get it now, don't you? Do you see why he said Macedonians? And this is what we're going to work and jump off from from here as he instructs them and then instructs us how we are to be grace givers. Thank you guys for not throwing things at me and I had to put up barbed wire. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And as we look at history, as we look at your word, we realize that it's a work of grace that you have given to people to be able to give to others. And as they are given to, then they also give. So as they give, they give to others. And it is a continual wheel as money is how it's supposed to be worked. And we know ultimately... Uh, Something like that can only be done in the kingdom of God. And we know we fall far short of it here. And all through the church worldwide, we know that. But Lord, help our hearts be focused upon your grace. For that's where it all starts. Help us to realize your grace to be grace givers. Thank you for this worship with your people this morning. It has been a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Till next time.